Hey folks, welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I'm your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm a belonging strategist. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DE&I and people analytics. Hi, Rob. How are you this week? Hello, Nadia. I am fantastic. How are you doing? Good, Rob. I'm loving these glasses you got on. Yeah, well... They're uh, they're new, right? So now with the headphones, uh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff on my head. Right a lot now. of accessories. It's weighing me down on. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty Hollywood now. Yeah, we're just. Yeah, we both are. <laughs> we are becoming pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, which glasses should we get for next time? What shape? What color? <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. These are these are tortoiseshell, and I'll probably you know I'm gonna start diving into some other colors as well. Love it. it you know, it's a lot of screen time. I think. Yeah. So the glasses yeah. help with like the dry eye. It helps with a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Nadia, I have a real quick question for you. As we, sure. this will, this is going out on the, uh, on the, on election season, right? So when this airs, okay. it's a day before the elections, you're already getting okay. anxious about what I'm going to ask you. I can hear it in my breathing. I'm like, yep. <laughs> this is a fun question, right? So, like, okay. you know how you get like the, do you get the texts and emails from people asking for money that are um, candidates or actors or actresses? Yeah. Totally. From Beto. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. what is your what is your favorite or oddest or weirdest one that you've gotten? I got one that was like, hey, it's Mar Mar is it Martin Sheehan? It's like one of the Sheehans. Maybe it's the yeah. older Sheehan. Martin Sheehan. Martin, yes. right? He's the oldest one. He was in um yeah. what's Not that Charlie show called? Sheen. That would be weird. Not Charlie. Yeah. That's what I was like. <laughs> and it wasn't Emilio, right? Yes, Emilio. He's the West Wing president, yes. West Wing president. And he's in Frankie Grace and Frankie, well, Frankie Grace, whatever that show is, which is hilarious. Um that was the weirdest one that I got because I was like, what? Why am I getting? And then I was like, oh, I got to read through it. Yeah, I'm getting them every day. I got Martin Sheen as well. I got Martin Sheen as well. I get a Barbara okay. Streisand occasionally. Like, oh, I didn't get like that I one. really want Barbara Streisand's advice on, like, like, I'm pretty sure Barbara Streisand and I are barely aligned on things. We don't really need yeah. to, to email each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get a lot of the politicians, like famous people, like Hollywood people. That was the only one that really stuck out because I've gotten like Stacey Abrams. Senator Warren. I mean, people can now tell like how we vote. Yes. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Um, we really can't help ourselves. So no. Nadia, we're doing something different. Tell us what we're doing today. What are we doing? Well, we are actually, it's just you and I today. We don't have a guest. We are the guests. And we we're the guests. we're doing the highlights of there's been a lot of things in the news the last few weeks. And so we wanted to provide a recap. So we're doing a highlight of all the deets. So deets highlights. Deets highlights, things that we haven't gotten to in the last few weeks. Things we haven't gotten to. Yeah, I'll kick it off, right? So let's talk about Twitter, right? So Nadia, you wanted mm -hmm. to talk about this last week and we cut it because I was just so disgusted. I had no, no bandwidth for it. So, yeah, yeah. so much has happened. I don't know if we need to recap everything that's happened with Twitter, right? So this is just from memory, right? So uh, Elon yeah. Musk, he acquired Twitter. He fired the top executive team. He disbanded the board. He yep. has tweeted or floated that he was going to lay off three quarters of the workforce. He has told one team at the at the organization to figure out how to charge their blue check people, their verified 
personalities and users how to charge them $20 per month and they had the weekend to figure out how to do it or they were fired. So oh, I didn't know this about is that. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, by the time that this goes up, there could be another 10 new developments. This is like the, this is the Hurricane Katrina of corporate acquisitions, which is a slow moving disaster. Yeah. We're not necessarily sure how it's going to play out. So uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? What are the things that, that jump out to you? Well, you know, when I first, so for, <laughs> I, this has been going on for a while, as we all know, right? Because there was, um, the purchase and then him backing out and then per, yes. you know, the potential of bringing it to, to trial. I have friends who work at Twitter. So just hearing it from that side is really interesting to hear like how folks are kind of like that employee engagement or reaction is really interesting. Look, I mean, he walked in the day of the purchase with a sink in case mm -hmm. we all forgot and said like the ship sinking or like this is something <laughs> no, said, about let that sink in let that let sink that in sink in i mean yes. yeah so so some of the policy changes like musk is really all about his free speech and i think there's going to be there already is an adverse effect what i'm worried about you just mentioned the elections like what i'm worried about is it is just days before the midterm elections and i'm worried about election integrity i'm look i'm really scared and nervous that there's going to be refueling of um, harmful speech and rhetoric and we're already seeing it like i i saw a crazy rise just recently someone had posted on both Twitter and on Instagram, that there's a large number of people that are starting to use the N-word and other slurs. And so he's getting what he wants. He he wants all eyes on him. And that's what he's getting because that's what we're doing. We're giving him the attention that he wants. Yeah, he has a big so, megaphone now, right? Yeah. yeah, he's a huge megaphone. So, so. so when you say that, Nadia, so a lot of attention has been on the racial and ethnic, the religious slurs that have shot up since... Mr. Musk took over and again control yep. the company. First, Twitter. Is, so, can I just say that Twitter has always been a cesspool? If you ever clicked yeah, you, on and read the you comments, never really loved it. It's yet. always been a place where the worst of society could be captured and all pulled together, and, and we can sure. kind of scroll through and see what the worst people think. There was some hope that by removing uh, the former president, I can't remember his name, but um, that and implementing that content moderation policies over the last few months, that it would get better, that that platform could be redeemed. But I just think it's just too far gone at this point, right? And so, you know, so it's always been a, a cesspool. It'll get worse from a workplace angle. I just don't see how real brands can spend ad dollars on this platform, right? Like we are mm. going into a recession. Companies are looking at their ad budgets. They're trying to figure out where they're going to cut. And Elon yeah. just made Twitter the easiest cut for any company, right? right? Like employees do not want to see their companies advertise on this platform. They don't want their brand yeah. sitting up there next to hate speech or or even just uh, kind of You like know, but it's not just Twitter. Like, don't you have a lot of colleagues and friends that drive Teslas? Like, it's, it's so interesting to me because, like, he has branding in so many different areas. It's not just Twitter. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, but I think that's a disaster for him as well, right? I mean, so like, so, yeah. so back to that point, you'll see, you're starting to see celebrities leave the platform. Yeah. You're starting to see a decline. You'll start to see a decline in users and ad revenue. And if that happens, Twitter's basically OAN, right? Like the, yeah. the One American News Network, right? It's, just, it's like the My Pillow guy that advertises on there, and that's <laughs> about it, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's where it's headed. But then also, right. there's that knock on effect for Tesla. So I really think that this is like, this is the end of Twitter as a this kind of the start, uh, and you could say that it started earlier. 
uh, of the end of Twitter like the as a place of, of, of influence, right, in our society. Sure. It doesn't sure. need to exist, right? If you stop using Twitter, you'll you'll be a much happier person. But then you hit it yeah. as well. Like it's a knock-on effect to the Tesla brand. And I think that uh, Mr. Musk will be very distracted with with Twitter and not necessarily paying yeah. attention to the fact that there are a lot of new rivals in the in the electric vehicle space, right? Like a lot of companies oh, yeah. really totally. got their act together and have really compelling I'm models for Acura. and offerings. Yeah, totally. Acura. Totally. Yeah, no, the Hyundai. Look at the nice little Hyundai, the Hyundai. driving down. Totally. Yeah, it's great stuff. So I think that it's it really bad for Tesla as well, and I think it's bad for the Tesla brand. And, and so I, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm kind Good of optimistic. Riddance, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of optimistic. I kind of like watching. Yeah this whole thing play out of course you lo you love the sinking ship <laughs> i don't like twitter i don't like twitter yeah so one more, right. let me just tie this to the oh, women okay. in the workplace study from mckenzie yeah. though right yeah, so the women please. in the workplace study came out think about and again we're going back to do employees want this kind of environment right and so the women in the workplace that study came out it comes out every year and one of the things that they they said was that women leaders and women executives are leaving uh, at the highest rates that they've ever seen in this report yeah. and said that they are most interested in women leaders. Um, they really want to work at companies that prioritize diversity, equity, inclusion, right? And so with Twitter- And they Twitter, want like a psychological, safe, non-hostile, trusting right. environment. Right. It's so really simple, people. <laughs> is this going to be, is Twitter with Elon Musk as CEO going to be a place that prioritizes DEI, DEI in your opinion? It's not, right? That's no. And so so give me a break. I, I mean, that... I hope it is because I, I do have friends who are there who value those things. And I think what they're realizing is that, and I don't want to speak for them, but I think the general consensus is probably those current employees might be un learning for themselves. Well, the new CEO may not align to those values, and you, you're going to see people bounce. Yeah, bounce away. So, I say, bounce away, bounce away, my friends. Bounce away. What's we'll that? find you other homes. Connect with <laughs> us on LinkedIn, and we'll connect you to the people we know. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next story. The current editor of the Oregonian, which is the newspaper, the kind of like the leading newspaper in Oregon. Um, do you say Oregon or Oregon? <laughs> Remember the Oregon Trail? Oregon. 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 Yeah. yeah. So that current editor of that newspaper apologized to their readers and community for the racism in the newspaper and the legacy it leaves. So let me give you kind of background. Um, so the article that the editor wrote is called I Unreservedly Apologize. The editor's name is Teresa Bottomley. Now, apparently, the staff at the at the newspaper ran a project to understand better understand how they reported and kind of perpetuated stories of the past related to racism and xenophobia. And I read both the project itself, the, the project report, and the letter from the editor's desk. The project report is really intense. It's a bit heartbreaking, to be honest with you. It's super informative. You know, it's investigating news. And um, the letter from the editor's desk is a good summary of that. And so I would encourage people, if they don't want to sit through and read the entire report, the letter from the editor is a really good summary of the findings and what they're doing moving forward. So a little history. Um, the editor goes back to the 1861 founding date of the newspaper and discusses how the newspaper promoted racist and xenophobic views. They discussed how for decades the institution stirred hatred and prejudice and fear. So, you know, Rob, Oregon um, was founded as an exclusionary state. They were openly hostile to people of color and 
Today, the city of Portland, which is, you know, the largest, one of the largest cities of Portland, Oregon, remains the whitest, you know, major city in America, which is really, I'm not surprised and I am surprised. It's like a whole other thing. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, this it's could Salt very Lake well City be... here. We're like, uh, we're, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? Yeah, yeah, Seriously? yeah. You're like, wait, you took You would have guessed Salt Lake City, right? You would have guessed Yeah, totally. Salt Lake City are changing. a lot of the cities. I was thinking like maybe Reno, but you know, I don't spend a lot of time in Reno. So I just, for some you reason, should. just thought it would no. be, but I should. So what was interesting is that the editor asked some pretty inward, like reflective questions. Um, ro- what role might the newspaper have played in, in failing to set, kind of seek it, um, redress for discrimination and prejudice, the policies? So the editor kind of was doing a lot of introspective work, and I love that she was sharing that with the readers. And some of the things that they found that I think is really important to highlight is that they, um, so the newspaper regularly referred to Black Oregonians by using, obviously, the worst possible slur. Um, the Oregonian belittled victims of actual attempted lynching. So the newspaper demonized Black Oregonians and treated them inferior, celebrating efforts to prevent them from voting, um, owning homes, or having equal rights. The paper failed to stand for the rights of Oregonians of Japanese descent when they were unjustly treated um, as the enemy and imprisoned during World War II. And the paper attempted to minimize experience of those citizens that, you know, basically who were taken away from their homes at the time, lost everything, including their land and their freedom, right? Some of them were imprisoned even um, here in the States. And so, you know, the editor uh, does a lot of reflection based off of that and the reporting back in the time. She she owns some of that, which is really interesting. And then she discusses some of the things that they're doing now to really help move DEI forward not just externally, but internally to the, to the organization. Um, do you want to hear some of those things? <laughs> <laughs> do you want? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Sure. I mean, they're, they're, I think they're worth shouting out because I think that other media uh, outlets could probably either learn from this project. Um, so they were among the first news organizations to refuse to publish mascot names and images that were offensive to the indigenous and native people. They've instituted a practice of not mentioning race in vague suspect descriptions that do nothing to help catch criminals and can reinforce negative stereotyping. They don't routinely publish police mugshots when someone is accused but not convicted. They acknowledge that their newsroom is predominantly white and they're working toward building a staff that reflects the diversity of their community. And then they partner with um, local institutions like high schools for mentorship opportunities. So they're really trying to make efforts to mitigate the bias and increase the representation. I'll pause there for your reaction. <laughs> yeah. A lot to react to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where, where do I start? Right. So I found yeah, yeah. one of the things that I liked about it, 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 there was a line that said the newspaper helped create the Oregon of today. I thought that was an mm. important point, uh, important, yeah. important overarching point. You know, some will say, why do we go back? Why do we unearth this stuff? Obviously, the moral standards of 1861, when the Oregonian was founded, are quite different than they were today. But I think that that statement drives it home for me that the media is an important institution. It helps create the reality that we all live in, right? That we all live with in that time, and it helps build the the, the society going forward. So I think it's really brave to look back, acknowledge that as an institution, how you cre- how you contributed to the inequality that we see today. I was thinking about corporations and 
do they do this? Have you seen much of this? Like there's been a lot of companies that have been around for, you know, a hundred years. Um, right. You know, if you're an insurance company, for example, that that overcharged people of, of different mm -hmm. races or made it right. harder for people to get insurance, then you sure. uh, then you contributed or to the wealth not accessible, gap. like weren't set up in in communities where or or even just taken advantage by over you know raising premiums on a specific right. group of people. Yeah, absolutely, if your healthcare organization that that denied care or right. overcharged for people and bankrupted people for the for their care uh, because there there was a certain uh, group, then then you have that same kind of culpability that we're talking about with the Oregonian. And they have archives, right? They have, you know, some of them have big libraries that uh, they can go back and look at what their policies were. Sure. And they can make that uh, apology as well, just as easily as the Oregonian could do. Yeah. So I thought it was really great. And um, I'd, I'd like to see more institutions do things like this. When people question, like, what are the systemic ways that we can fight injustice and like build more equitable processes and policies? This is one way. Like media is huge. It's a huge system in our country. And so yeah. it's like one way that we can absolutely like reflect and adjust. And so the the report was really powerful. I'm gonna go ahead and make sure we tag it um in the link when we when we post this episode. I'm still processing it. It was really, it was really interesting and informative. So, um, yeah. Thanks for that, Nadia. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with just a few more Deets stories. Okay, folks, we are back. Um, Rob, do you want to go into the second the third, sorry. Yeah, yeah this is a the third deed here. This is a big one, right? So this week, their last week, the Supreme Court, the Republican Supreme Court, I should call it, is what I call it now, heard arguments in two cases challenging the use of race in college admissions. The case was brought by an anti-affirmative action group arguing that white and Asian Americans are unfairly discriminated against when colleges try to open up opportunities for Black and Latinx students. What? What? what so one thing, Nadia, I, I'm not too worried about it because you know. There's a Supreme Court, and I'm no lawyer, right? It's mm -hmm. just another hobby of mine. So my my hobbies, <laughs> my two hobbies, labor economics and Supreme Court watching. Okay. Um, but the <laughs> Supreme Court has upheld affirmative you? action. Yeah, no, that's all I do. Um, they've upheld affirmative action cases since 1978, right? So, and there's something called precedent, and we know the Supreme Court would never just completely disregard precedent, right? It's just not their thing, um, right? No, what? I don't Did know I miss about something? that. I mean, abortion. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah. You know, that, that little, was a big miss. That little one. Swing and right. a miss. Yeah. Um, so this is dead. I'm curious about your thoughts. Like, to me, this is dead, right? So as soon as the next, uh, this is not going to last, right? Like, race is not going to be allowed to be used as a criterion for college admissions going forward. That's a huge shockwave through the higher education system, massive societal change. Uh, the elite colleges will have a really hard time struggling with diversifying their student populations. So what, what, what are your thoughts on this? You take some time to, to look at it? Um, listen, I think we put a policy in place for a reason to start to mitigate bias and in an institution in a, in a systemic way. And they might now take it away. And I'm just not sure how fair and equitable the process will be for people moving forward. And I think of like pipelines to leadership, right, in society. And so mm -hmm. if the court rules against affirmative action, then will we have even less representation at the top, right? Sure. Because when you graduate from university, the likelihood of you getting a, a job in an organization and then move up the ladder 
we all know when you look at job descriptions, the bare minimum is bachelor's and then master's. And and so what does that look like for folks that are of um, the marginalized groups of, of communities? And then what's the impact on society and history in terms of the advancement of, of Black people? And so... So Nadia, one thing I didn't realize was how unpopular affirmative action is. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. So like, so three quarters of U.S. adults oppose affirmative action. And even in California in 2020, 57% voted against an affirmative action proposal. Did you know this? No. Do you know why? Know why? No, I don't know why. I'm asking. <laughs> so you were asking. I thought you knew why so, and you wanted me to react. So let me, no. But you I don't, don't have to speculate. I, but I, so I think yeah. that, I, I think that. There's there's some silver lining here. I do think there's some there could be some room. People like me could actually help in this situation, right? So if it is if it is dead, um, you know, if you take away race, we still and we still want to have diversity, right? I think we know that there's overwhelming benefits to having diversity on college campuses. People like me, maybe you might be able to do, um, achieve diversity through other means, right? So if you, if you have a greater weight and emphasis on social class, so using things like education and zip codes to almost approximate the racial diversity that you want, mm, you can build mm-hmm. models and you kind of get around it that way. Uh, okay. It seems like there's some some openness from the Supreme but Court But do you think universities like are going to yes. actually, okay. Yeah, call I Rob. absolutely do. Call Rob I, Hadley. <laughs> oh, do I think that they're going to call me? No, but, <laughs> no. but no, they will. Call do I you. think that they? Do I yeah. think that they value diversity and, on college campuses? Yeah, and that they're, good, of, and that they're smart enough to figure out how to get around it. I think so. That's not my question. Of course, like I think they value diversity, but I think sometimes we forget that in the decision making process is where we see the most bias creep in. I will be curious to see how they start to. What are the other solutions that they're going to implement to start to close the gap on this? That's all. It'll yeah. be really interesting to me. All Excellent. Right. What's next? So Kickstarter. Remember this company? So Kickstarter. According, Kickstarter. According to Bloomberg, um, the crowdfunding platform Kickstarter is looking to its new CEO, Everett Taylor, to return the company to its core values. Kickstarter was founded in 2009 as a public benefit corporation. You know, it helps connect creative projects with donors who contribute uh, money to fund their ideas. The company. It's part of our um, healthcare system, right? When people oh, really? need a kidney, they like, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, oh so, that's, go, that's GoFundMe. Sorry. No, that's GoFundMe. That that's sorry. GoFundMe. Yeah, this is, you know, for, for corporations. So the right, company's okay. actually facilitated $6.9 billion for over 228,000 projects. So, um, you know, Taylor is the company's first black CEO. He's appointed to the position in September and replaced Aziz Hassan, who resigned in March after backlash for layoffs during the pandemic. You know, he has a lot of strategic goals in mind, um, really connecting Kickstarter with its users and improving diversity on the platform. He said he wants to show that what crowdfunding can do for multiple communities, including um, in that, you know, that's basically really what he's hoping to do, which is really cool. Exciting news there. And as a reminder, a few brands that started from Kickstarter are Oculus, Peloton, and Allbirds. I didn't know this. Hmm. Did you? Yeah. I didn't know. I, I get confused if it's GoFundMe and Kickstarter, so I didn't know it probably. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so 
did you know that fa- that fundraisers of color are less likely to meet their fundraising goals? Something I didn't really understand or, or see what the issue was here. Um, they're less likely to, or they're they're more likely to raise less when they even meet their goals or to ask for less as well. Um, so I think that Taylor says he wants to look at the content platform, the algorithms, make sure that they're supporting people of color, make sure that they have a chance to be seen and heard. And so I think it's really cool. I think it's uh, he plans to focus on. On, on elevating those voices on the on the platform and try to sure. make it a more inclusive place. Yeah. I mean, I think we heard that in season one, right? When we talked to a lot of the founders and even season two, some of the founders that we've spoke to that come from POC or, or black communities and um, just raising money is, is, is a tough endeavor for many folks, but in particular that group. So we also heard from Je- Jessica Arredondo Murphy of TrueFit and yes. she talked about So that's the online fashion sizing platform. And she said they had originally trained their models to, with the assumption the companies that they were working with had had, uh, accounted for diversity of online shoppers. And and then when they figured out that they didn't and their model was was elevating the wrong things or doing something that they didn't necessarily intend, they fixed it. And so like companies have the ability to be intentional with the platforms, with the algorithms uh, and, and to elevate the voices that they want to any kind of social platform like this and so i I think that they're probably headed in the right direction with this particular ceo yeah very cool your next story i'm next baseball right (laughs) sports baseball sports (laughs) excellent so a a sports story for you currently playing in the world series are as you know the ethically challenged houston astros and the gritty (laughs) Really, you know, rugged, you know, Cinderella story, Philadelphia Phillies. But did you know, Nadia, did you know that when those teams took the field in game one this past week, it was the first time since 1950 that neither team had a U.S.-born African-American player? Oh, wow. Did you see that one? Yeah? I I saw something on MSNBC about it, yeah. Okay. So there's obviously a lot of foreign-born Hispanic Latino players, but it's really Mm -hmm. pretty amazing that there are no U.S.-born black players. Black representation in baseball peaked at around 20% between 1975 and 1981 and has slowly declined since. It now stands at around 7%, a little less than 7%, uh, depending on uh, different news sources. So This is um, black Americans. Yes, yes. Because I, on MSNBC, what I recall them saying is that they they mentioned that Many players are recruited from like Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Korea, Japan. Yep. So I'm just, do you think that the recruiting money and the efforts are mostly spent outside of the U.S.? But then like that, that can't be the case because there's a lot of white players that play American white, right? Like, so what's the problem, Rob? Tell me what is the problem? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think make the obvious point that if you have no black American athletes in your sport, you're not getting the best talent, right? Like if you're, you're underrepresented, you're not getting the, the best talent. Um, we know if you, if I said, Hey, who are our best athletes? Where are our best athletes going? You would say they go to basketball, they go play football. Right. And what you see is that, and there's a lot of hypotheses. Baseball hasn't necessarily had the same type of outreach. It's a very expensive sport. So baseball participation costs more than other sports, so favoring wealthy suburban kids who often just happen to be white. You know, in, in a 2021 Washington Post poll, baseball placed fifth among people under 30 in popularity after football, basketball, something else uh, rated higher than baseball, but like the actual something else, anything else, and uh, soccer and uh, and soccer as well. So 
Mm-hmm. It's just a warning that if you don't have, if you're not intentional about going into those communities and building uh, relationships and and actually marketing your sport to you know, a diverse audience, then you're, this is where you're going to end up. And I think that, uh, and I think it's just a cautionary tale to some of the other uh, sports that we have as well as as youth participation or youth sports are so expensive, right? Um, you know, the price of participation is going up and up and up and starting to be very exclusionary in, uh, in all of these sports that I'm talking about. Sports home run. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, I'll move on to the, the, the last deet here. So Mattel uh, releases three Barbie dolls for Dia de Martos. And I may have enunciated that wrong, so I'm looking at you, Rob. Can you help me? Dia de Mar- Muertos? De los Muertos. De los Muertos. Mar- Muertos, yes. De los Muertos. Okay. So according to NPR in Celebration, Mattel released three new Barbies this year. One of the dolls, a celebration with Mexican fashion designer Benito Santos, um, has already sold out. So um, this these dolls, um, they kind of reflect a purple ruffled dress, the Barbie does, and Ken wears a blue shirt and patterned vest, uh, nice. both Don skulls and flower details. Um, the Benito Santos in Barbie doll is a traditional charro outfit with a uh, black dress and bolero jacket. Can I just ask you, do you know how... How much do you think these Barbie dolls sell for? A million dollars. No, really, for a <laughs> <laughs> uh, hundred bucks. They're between eighty to a hundred dollars each. Okay, so um, a little, yeah, a little exclusive. Yeah. Every, literally everything's a hundred bucks at this point. Everything right? is like hundred. You walk out the door, you spend a hundred bucks. Cottage cheese. Yeah. Cottage cheese. Hundred dollars. Done. $100. Did you? Is this a thumbs up? Is this a thumbs up collaboration for you, Nadia? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I think like it's so funny. I'm visiting. I'm here down in D.C. visiting my friend and her five year old and their five year old daughter. And um, I had gotten this really, you know, me growing up, I never said it was always a blonde Barbie doll, maybe a brunette. And I bought this Barbie doll for my friend's daughter. And it's a really funky, like spunky black Barbie doll um, with like, you know, sideburns and like a mohawk colored hair, like all different rainbow colored hair it was really cool. And she loved it. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think this is a thumbs up. I'm really, I think this is. I mean, it's a little too late, but yeah, let's. <laughs> little late. <laughs> wait, it's a little they late done for in you. Like Twenty years ago. I did do. I yeah, a little late for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I went to the Barbie site so and did a little research. So I hope my co- okay. the cookies on were turned off, or I'll be keep getting Barbie offers like sent to me on my email. Um, but it, Barbie now features 35 skin tones, 94 hairstyles, and nine body types. Now I scrolled through. I didn't see many different body types. Um, even the Barbies oh. that, that uh, are, are people with disabilities or they're, they're in wheelchairs. Okay. So there's like this perfect looking idealized woman sitting in a wheelchair. I don't know if oh that's <laughs> exactly yeah. what we're well, looking for. continuous but, improvement, right? <laughs> but, you know, it's done by a Mexican. This one is done by a Mexican designer. Yes. He's proud of his work. I think they're on safe ground here. And, uh, you know, they do just say that they're just getting started on increasing the diversity and inclusion in their dolls. So I think uh, yeah. so. So thumbs up or thumbs kind thumbs of up. like halfway up. Yeah. Thumbs way halfway. That's right. Nadia, that was fun. Thanks so much. That was fun. We'll take a short break and be right back to wrap up. All right, we are back, Nadia. So much fun. It's been nice to catch up. Haven't caught up for a while. 
as we wrap up here, we'll be back next week with a uh, with with a with a guest. Have the normal format of the show. I I did want to wrap up here with again. We'll go back to the election, so your anxiety can bring your anxiety back into this. <laughs> I wanted to give you three exciting Senate races, and I want your predictions mm-hmm. about what's going to how it's going to play out. Right, so just like okay. hey, what's what's going to happen. Right, so. Um, I'll, let me go through all of them, okay? And I want, and then you yeah. can kind of react, right? So, so first we have America's favorite fad diet doctor, Mehmet Oz, uh, versus John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. We have yeah. ladies' man Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Arizona, we have an American hero, Mark Kelly versus Blake Masters. I don't know what he does. Uh, so, yeah. what th- those are three of my favorite that I'm watching. What what are your reactions? Give it give it to me, and we're going to check you next week. Okay, so. Right now, I'll go with the Fetterman and Oz is like, it's, I think Fetterman's probably going to win it. But this is a tight, it's a tight race. Fe- I just love Fetterman over Oz. So I'm hope, my hope is that he wins. Reality, I'm not so sure. Pennsylvania swings. So I don't know. Um, Georgia. His, it, War- Dr. Oz has mm. so much to offer, right? He's just, a, you know, he's really, there's, there's so many fad diets and pills you can, you know. <laughs> Push for the, I mean, healthcare is no. going to be his top priority. Okay, next, yeah, next. No, Georgia. Keep it in. I love Warnock um, more so than Walker. Um, I, I, I was really closely watching Warnock the last time and was rooting for him. So uh, I hope Warnock, but I, there, I think they're neck to neck right now. I think they're actually the polls are saying they're very, they're like tied. So yeah, that's going to be happen? tight, George. I, I think Walker's probably going to win, to be real. Oh, oh, I okay. Think, yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. All right. Not, I, not, I just, not what I, I wanted to hear, but keep going. I don't want him to, but I, yeah. All right, keep going. Um, all and right, you keep said going. Mark Kelly and Masters. Yeah. Um, Arizona's a tricky one. They're all, these three are really tricky. Arizona's tricky. I want Mark Kelly. I think Masters will win because I think Arizona is just not ready for change. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you hear that, Arizona? We'll see how that one plays out. We'll, Come I'm on, Arizona. for some reactions from, from people in Arizona that are ready yeah. for change. Awesome. And, well, and you, I know I'm you excited. said three, but there's – well, there's – you said three, but there's another state, Nevada, that we're watching closely to Cortez and Laxalt. So yeah, yeah. I, I think these are the ones that I don't know who really... those people are, so I'm not yeah. – I, I didn't want to bring <laughs> I only I only brought people that I knew and had something to, to attach to them. Yeah. Yeah. That race so. is really close, so we got to keep our eyes on that. But just go vote, everyone. Just go vote. But what are yeah, your yeah. what do who do you I think have my I have my ballot. Uh, yeah, like I got my 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 ballots right here. I, oh, I just misplaced them. Right, so I'm gonna go mm-hmm. drop off. Oh, here they are. I'm gonna go drop off my ballots. Here they are. Okay. Uh, or yep, as Republicans voli- call it, voting. I'm gonna try to steal the election. You know. So um, <laughs> really excited. He's not it's gonna be. It's going to be, uh, uh, yeah, Fetterman, Warnock, and Kelly will all win. Done. Um, okay. Well, folks, it, it, this has been really fun, Rob. I appreciate you. I appreciate our listeners. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media. We would love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refilion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. <laughs> um, if you like oh. what you hear... Um, and Twitter. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. Share with your friends. Um, if you want to get in touch with us for consulting purposes, check us out. Um, you can check me out at nasconsultants.com and Rob at Consulting.com. Thanks again, folks. We will be back next week. Be well. Later. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.